Hello and welcome back to the Digital Health and Wearables series. Today I have another magnificent episode and leader for you. But before I go ahead, let me invite you to subscribe to the channel, magnificent content here, and also check all the previous guests, a lot of great content there. And let me acknowledge our digital health platform, Touch V, and our series partner, Fujifilm Healthcare. But let's go to the guest. Today, we have Denise Silbert. She is a digital health and VR communicator and influencer. Denise, how are you? I'm fine. And I want to thank you so much, uh, Joel, for inviting me and for all the information you make available. Uh, we know each other for several years and you've always been dedicated to connected objects. And this is really the time for connected objects. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much for accepting the invite. And, and as you mentioned, we know each other for quite a few years. I remember in 2015 when I came to the Elf Conference and you organized some magnificent events. Thank you. Yes. Um, I am a digital health uh, communicator, as you said, and um, one of the important uh, events that I've organized was the Doctors 2.0 series where we met, where we were the first to bring uh, people from around the world uh, to Paris. Uh, actually, most conferences were always national to give patients the opportunities to do keynotes, um, startup conferences, startup contests before they were so well known uh, as now. So uh, in fact, we had a connected object contest where people had to uh, take as many steps as they could and uh, win something. I have some really great memories. Thank you so much. I'm going to go straight to the questions. Is that okay? Please. And the first question that I have for you today, by the way, today we are here to discuss digital health and virtual reality. And the first question that I have for you is, where is digital health going? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a really wonderful question because I see a, a change that is happening up until now people were always looking at trends in technology. So at first there were the electronic medical records, people then became interested in mobile apps, connected objects, um, including uh, virtual reality headsets. That led to a lot of data, so artificial intelligence, and then we worry about the data that led to blockchain becoming popular. But what I see happening now is that we are moving instead of looking at technology and all the clinicians were always saying, but technology is not an end in itself. What is it going to do for me? Is it going to make me a better physician? The patient, is it going to make my patient healthier? Um, is it going to be economically uh, affordable, reasonable? And now we finally see that digital health is being absorbed into the health system um, through use cases. And these use cases are developed. They have clinical trials. Uh, they request reimbursement if it's for a particular condition. And bit by bit, we are getting to the point where we can say health and not digital health. So that when the fi financial, uh, the finance, finance experts uh, want to know, well, who do you compare yourself to? From now on, it really has to be you comparing yourself to treatments without this or separately from it. And uh, in particular, the term 
DTX has come up. It sort of summarizes what I'm saying. Digital therapeutics, um, which has become well known thanks to a group of companies that got together um, the Digital Therapeutics Alliance. It started in the US, but it's really worldwide. And they have touched upon uh, a true expectation of the health system because they bring a package that fits into the general way of managing uh, healthcare problems. Mm, oh, fantastic, uh, fantastic points there. I think I, I do agree with you that everybody realized this is not just about technology as much broader than that. And that uh, fascinating um, overview that you gave around the change, that's very, very interesting. Thank you for that, Denise. Uh, the second question that I have for you is, how is technology benefiting patients and patient engagement? Right. So it's a, it's a slow process because it takes time for all change in healthcare. Um, even, uh, I, and I know that uh, this is commonly understood, but even something like uh, the, uh, the arrival of the, the new vaccines, we saw that we had to really compress time and make people try to accept it right away. But we know that the population, whether it's professionals or patients, are divided in people who are innovators and all the way down to people who don't want to take something until everybody else has uh, has tried it and throughout the history of medicine it has taken sometimes 100 years uh, and more recently 20 years for innovations to happen but for the patients i guess there's really a big divide between those who learn about these innovations and who will seek out locations where they can benefit from them and those who do not who are in a more passive situation, and that is the majority. So I would say that um, society is changing and that patients are benefiting from a greater openness to allow them to be engaged in their healthcare as the population of professionals becomes younger over time. And we know that uh, there is a, a difference between the way the, um, out, the current medical students are being taught and the generation before, but still things are going so much more slowly than one would hope for the, for the patients. There is an opportunity for them if they know where to go and, and what to do, and otherwise they might still likely be along the traditional path because much of what we're discussing in these innovations is still at the clinical trial level. There are um, dozens now, or maybe you could say a hundred digital therapies out there, but there are thousands of treatments. So we have a ways to go before patients can really benefit from everything. Mm. Oh, fantastic. I mean, and, and you were actually one of the first people that bringing the patients together to talk, to talk around digital health. And you brought, I remember meeting Vanessa from South Africa in your conference, I actually interviewed her last year. Now, is more common to see patient advocates, patient voices. It's a bit more common, but back then was truly groundbreaking. Yeah, Very it was. Cool. And, and even more recently, um, I had submitted her name for, there's a conference um, that takes place every couple of years about hand hygiene. 
uh, with uh, hygienists who are, um, whether physicians, nurses from around the world. And she gave, in September 2019, the keynote, people were weeping um, with emotion. Um, this is the kind of speech and presentation that really makes change happen. And she explained what had happened to her and what should not happen. Um, and uh, it, was, it was really fantastic to see her. I think that there were a couple of thousand people in, in the audience, wow. all clinicians, yeah. Wow, um, brilliant. Denise, thank you so much. The third and last question that I have for you is, why are you interested in virtual reality and what are your observations around it? Well, um, virtual reality fascinates me. Uh, the concept of virtual reality began in the 19th century. The idea that you could have a person seeing in three dimensions um, through what they knew at the time, I guess, of physics. And it wasn't until a few years ago that the headset became both um, agreeable or more agreeable to wear than it had been up until then when it had been um, truly too heavy and awkward to, to put on and that it could be independent of the computer. In other words, that you could walk around and not have to be connected to, uh, to a computer. Um, what I find fascinating about it is that it's a whole nother way of interacting with the body through the central nervous system. So it enables people who, for example, really need to meditate in an intense way, although that sounds contradictory to intensely meditate, but meditate, but it, who absolutely must meditate because otherwise they are so stressed out, they can't um, take their medical treatment or the exam that they have to take, and they cannot do it without the help of something like virtual reality, that is one use. Another is for pain, um, people are able to break through the cycle of having constant severe pain by using virtual reality headsets with applications that have been tested. Um, uh, a couple of companies have now received approval in the US and there are other levels of approval, lower levels of approval that um, make it such that many companies can propose uh, applications for different forms of, of pain, whether pain in procedure or chronic pain. It has multiple mental health type of condition, uh, po potential to treat those, such as for schizophrenia. Um, and there is a definitely major market for rehabilitation. Why for rehabilitation? Because you need repetition and it, it really is much better when the repetition is being managed for you. Instead of having to count how many times you, move, you moved your eye for a lazy eye or moved your arm, um, it turns it into a, a game. Now, I only mentioned that one last because some people are confused because they think of wearing the virtual reality headset for gaming. So one of the serious aspects of gaming can be medical, such as what I just described for uh, the use for 
people who need re-education to get over some form of disability, uh, but it's very serious. Um, also for um, projecting people into another period of time, people with dementia, um, you can give them the impression that they are back at a, at a time when that they remember and suddenly they're enjoying themselves. It can be used um, for people who can't travel anywhere to have an exciting moment and they really look forward to it. We recently saw videos of an 89-year-old man whose granddaughter, who is an adult nurse, um, showed him how to use it and he was fascinated by getting to visit the veterans' memorials that he can no longer go to. And the clinicians that use this say that it gives them a totally different relation to the patient because they really have to try and understand what is happening, um, what in the thoughts of the patient and adapt the treatment to them. Whereas medicine up until now has been more, well, we give them this medicine, we speak at some point, but we don't really accompany them. Um, the clinicians themselves say it's a, it's a new way of, of relating to the patient. So uh, that is why, um, in addition to um, my previous uh, uh, creation of a company, Basil Strategies, I started a platform with a uh, co-founder who was a patient, a cancer survivor who did not have access to virtual reality when she was taking chemotherapy. And we uh, have this collection of information and videos about virtual reality and its therapeutic uses so that we can help participate in getting the word out. Mm. Brilliant. Denise, fascinating, very, truly amazing. I like what he said about going back to the 19th century. It's like the history of wearables. Everybody think wearables, they came in 2011, but actually they were around in different formats in the 19th century. And I see also virtual reality kind of being under the wearables umbrella. So I also have an interest in that. Yeah, definitely. There, there are a lot of, um, most of technology has been around for far longer than mm. people think so. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much because you described so many practical applications, use cases, concrete, because sometimes we talk about technology, what might happen, but you describe like practical terms, true applications in medical field, non-medical field. So thank you so much for that. Denise, we could talk for hours. We come to the end of the, it's been, it's been really great. I come to the end of the, the episodes. I finish all my episodes in a peculiar way. It's not really a question. It's called one minute of fame. You can talk about anything that you wish, about your work, your companies, shout out to any innovators, mention anyone else, family life, anything whatsoever to round up. Over to you, one minute of fame. Um, well, I'm going to mention uh, my co-founder uh, for uh, vrforhealth.com by name, Beth uh, Savildelli. And I'm going to mention um, two conferences that are coming up. So there's the conference uh, on March 3rd and 4th in Nashville, Tennessee, which is the sixth annual uh, virtual reality for healthcare conference organized by Bob Fine. And then we have a March 24 and 25th virtually the Cedars-Sinai based virtual medicine conference under the responsibility of Dr. 
Brennan Spiegel, who is one of the pioneers of uh, using virtual reality clinically. So I hope people will sign up for those. Oh, brilliant. What a way to, to end the show. Denise, let me thank you so much for being in here, but also for your magnificent work over the years and you are constant on social media and around the influencing side, side of things. So thank you so much for your amazing input. It is I who thank you, Joel. Thank you so much. Brilliant. And now let me thank our viewers and listeners. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Also, I'm going to post Denise's um, social media in here. Connect with her on LinkedIn, on Twitter. She's a true expert, been around digital health for a long, long time and done many, many things. And let, let, the last thing is to acknowledge our digital health platform, Touch V, and our series uh, partner, Fujifilm Healthcare. And I'll see you all next week.